recorded live from the mats of Radical MMA in New York City, the Martial Culture Podcast. Your source for in-depth combat sports and martial arts insights with, with Coach, Coach Renee Dreyfus and, and Matt Peters. Peters. Ring the bell and let's get, get it on. Welcome back to another episode of Martial Culture Podcast. This is a special episode where we're going to answer your questions. Uh, well, more commonly known as I'm going to ask the question. And Renee's going to answer the question and I'm going to throw in a joke every now and then. Uh, Renee? Yes. Welcome back to the studio. It feels like I never left. <laughs> well, you did leave for a little bit. <laughs> we won't talk about that. Um, let's get right into the questions. Nobody, sure. nobody cares about our, our banter at, on this point. But uh, first question up, uh, what is the difference between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Yeah, and you can even expand that. And what's the difference between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu? Right, so like, hey, what's jujitsu? Why can't we just have jujitsu? You know, that's actually a good point because a lot of people like um, are calling jujitsu. Said uh, Shenji Barrow is a very famous jujitsu guy. He's like, we should just call it jujitsu now because it's just jujitsu. But th- th- that is not really true mm-hmm. because not all jujitsu is the same. Now, when we first let's talk the definition of jujitsu. And the jiu-jitsu, word jujitsu is actually very new. Um, it is a 19th century word um, that did not exist historically. Historically, the Japanese martial arts styles were called like Heiho or uh, – which is like warrior way or something like the fighting way. And it was part – one of them would be, you know, in this warrior way, you'd learn how to like, you know, use a sword. You'd learn how to shoot a bow and arrow, even ride a horse, shoot a gun actually, you know, a rifle kind of things, ancient mm-hmm. rifle. Um, funny – then you'd have these styles that would – hand-to-hand combat as well. So a lot of them, sometimes they would call them taijutsu or kugosoku, which is the name of combat, Japanese hand-to-hand combat in armor. So they had a lot of these words. Yawara, which is um, basically the first character of jiu-jitsu. The first character of jiu-jitsu means softness, and that's also read as yawara, which means like pliancy, but basically it's another word of saying just grappling, you know, kind of grappling. And if you look at historically Japan, Every the country was divided into hundreds and hundreds of little fiefs. Like every there was lords here, just like ancient you know Europe. Um, I think it's very similar to look at it, um, uh, Germany, where Germany was all these different little small states, and then they kind of or even even uh, um, Italy was like that at one point. Uh, Japan was balkanized into all these different states. So if you're a lord, well, guess what? Every lord had a man at arms of, and martial arts instructors to teach their samurai how to fight. Of course, so each area had their own definitions of grappling and, and combat. And so when you say jiu-jitsu, you could be drawing on any of the unarmed fighting combat styles that came out of Japan. That's generally what we talk about. And in the Meiji period, which is when Japan entered the Mon era, they did a little survey and there was like something like 762 different styles of, of unarmed grappling combat. And why was there a focus on grappling? There was Kempo, which is like striking as well. A karate, most people think karate is Japanese, but it's actually Okinawan. But um, but one of the reasons why striking was less common was was very simple. Armor. You know, you can punch a guy as hard as you want in the face. He's wearing a helmet. He's not going to feel that much. So, you know, the Japanese tended towards much more uh, grappling. Now, there's other styles of jiu-jitsu that developed pre-1600 and post-1600. 1600 was the year that Japan pacified. It unified and there was peace. And so there's a lot of styles that developed after that point that were not battlefield styles. So what do I mean by that? So say um, you are a bailiff and you got to arrest someone. And you got to – you got to – and the interesting Japanese had a legal code 
which was not innocent until proven guilty, but kind of in terms of result was the same way. What it meant was if I arrest you and I'm a commoner, I don't have the right to kill you unless someone higher up says so, right? Um, and then even samurai like have this thing called kiriste, which is like a samurai could just – if you disrespected him, he could just kick, kill you right on the street. That's actually not really true. Um, so basically if you killed someone, you had to let them, the Lord know why you killed them. You know, you couldn't just kill them. But it was for another reason. It's basically every peasant was a laborer that made money. So mm-hmm. you can't kill his money. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't for a good, like, justice reason. It was just for pure <laughs> economics, right? Like, you're killing my peasant. I can't grow rice. I can't grow rice. I can't make money. I can't make money. I can't eat, you know. Uh, yeah, so, so, um, so a lot of these bailiff arts were arresting arts that where I could immobilize you and then take you for justice. And so – or there were a lot of places where um, Japanese would have to put their sword aside like an emperor's residence or something like that. And then they would have bodyguards who would be like, well, I can't have a sword here because it's em- shoguns are emperor's residence. So I can't have a sword here, so I have to have find some unarmed way of fighting. So these res- bodyguard arts or bailiff arts developed post-16th century and they were not necessarily divine for the battlefield. But they're still jiu-jitsu. There's still this grappling tradition um, and um, – and so you have all these different styles. So 700 and something, right? Come the modern era, Jigoro Kano comes and he says, well, and this is very important. And martial arts hate to hear this, but it is a fact. Not all martial arts are created equal. There are some martial arts that are just really, really good. And some martial arts that are not as well de- developed. It's just a fact. It's a fact. Like, you know, some people are are really good writers and some are not. You know, like like not everybody's Stephen King. You know, so there are certain martial arts that are technically not as advanced as others. And that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow, especially you're on the, the, the lower end. You don't want to be told that. But it's true. It's true. They're just not as effective for whatever they're designed for, right? So Kano came by and he said, hmm, this is here is pretty good. I like this. I like this. This is efficient. He had some principles and one of them was maximum efficiency. And the idea was let's get all the techniques from these styles so as he didn't study everybody, he studied four major ones, and um, and he said, "Let me take these techniques, and if they're conform to my concept of maximum efficiency, then we'll add it to our curriculum. If it doesn't, then I'll get rid of it." So he pruned, he pruned the different styles and said, "Okay, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad," and he created judo. And um, judo originally had a um, very combative context, but it was also cultural in that he wanted to modernize the traditional um, arts, but bring them into the more modern era and said, okay, so we'll have a sport of competition too. Uh, we'll still keep the fighting element, but we'll have the sport of competition and um, and we'll have some sort of physical culture that was really big in the 19th century. Boxing was part of that. Wrestling was part of that. We have a physical culture. The Olympics grew out of that. Mm-hmm. Physical culture for the modern times. And, and judo came out of that. And then, so judo, came from Japanese jiu-jitsu. Also, Japanese jiu-jitsu went around the world. Some practitioners lost their jobs when samurais got, you know, that samurai system was overturned. So some of them went abroad and uh, became like pro wrestlers, funny enough. Like there's one guy in in England, another guy here. uh, People went all around. And one of them was from judo, but his name was Maeda. And he went to America, to New York. And we talk about this in one podcast where he, MMA has actually started here in New York where Maeda fought a guy named Butcher Boy in the very first of his recorded 
mixed style fights of jiu-jitsu versus another art. And the art that Butcher Boy had was uh, was uh, catch wrestling, I believe. Well, I don't think he was a boxer. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. Butcher Boy. Butcher Boy, right. But, um, but you know, you never know what he was, right? <laughs> anyway, it was a recorded fight up in the Catskills. And then he became a prize fighter. He moved down to Brazil and he, he taught the Gracies. And so... Originally, the Gracie family, you know, had this lineage of Japanese jiu-jitsu to judo to them. And they called it Gracie jiu-jitsu because they tweaked it a little bit. And people say that there's no difference between Gracie jiu-jitsu and judo. And that is not true. There's a lot of differences. And I can say um, in, in, um, in Japan, uh, there was a strong ground tradition. And that was created uh, mostly by some of these jiu-jitsu guys who moved into judo. But they kept their techniques. They were accepted and they kept their techniques. And a lot of those were ground fighting techniques. And the ground fighting techniques are actually mostly not battlefield. They're post-16th century bailiff techniques or, you know, Japanese live on the floor. So if you get assassinated or used to, you know, the Japanese culture, they didn't have Mm -hmm. chairs. So if you get assassinated or attacked while you're eating, while you're working, while you're reading a book, I don't know, whatever, you're sitting on the floor. So obviously ground fighting will be a strong part of what you need to know to defend yourself because mm-hmm. you can't stand. Also, traditional Japanese rooms, the st- the ceiling is not as high as American ceilings, right? So sometimes you, you couldn't even stand completely upright and swing a sword. So like there would just be not enough room to swing a sword because the, the room is just a little bit mm-hmm. more, you know, you're living on the floor. It doesn't have to be so tall. So um, So these grappling arts developed there. Um, where it was a lot of wrestling on the floor. And that was that tradition. And that tradition went into judo. And uh, and then that tradition was also carried on to Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And they found, and especially Maeda found, that he said a lot of people don't understand the ins and outs of ground fighting in the West. Now, they wrestled, but they didn't understand the techniques that Japanese had developed on the ground because they're very sophisticated. And he's like, let me really focus my this on this element because it gives me a huge advantage over the, the American wrestlers. So if you're a wrestler, maybe you can take me down. But you take me down, I can arm lock you or triangle choke you or you know or flip you or something, leg lock you from the bottom from being on my back. And this was a new concept, not saying it never existed, but it the systems that the Japanese developed were were did not exist in the same way, and the Maeda took that, and the Gracies took that, and developed that further, and that is true. Now, the other thing the Gracies did was because there was no sport jujitsu competitions, there's no sport judo, they really focused on mixed style fights, just like Maeda did. So it's you're a karate guy, I'm a jujitsu guy, let's go. You're a boxer. This is what was mostly capoeira and boxing that they fought in the beginning, and then it became luta libre. But the first fights were against boxers and capoeiras, capoeiristas, who were strikers. And then what they do, they take them down, and then they choke them out, you know, like pretty simple. And the same thing with, with wrestlers. The wrestlers would take them down. They'd go to guard, and then they'd play possum. They'd let the wrestler, because most of these wrestler guys were very strong and very, very agile and very aggressive. They'd let them tire themselves out. Then they'd go. And that was a very interesting thing because you just don't see that kind of thing in judo where it's a systemic understanding of trying to tire the guy out by by playing a playing possum, you know? And that was really strongly Gracie Jitsu. So one, it was very oriented to self-defense and mixed style fights. Two, it was also had this idea of like and 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 one of the grandsons of Elio, Henner and Hideo and Gracie, they ta- they have a video talking about it. It's like the, one of the biggest myths of jujitsu is like you have to you have to move, you have to move, you have to go, you have to go. And they're they're pushing back because their grandfather's theory was you don't have to go if you're not getting hurt. 
<laughs> you don't have to move. If you're not getting hurt, just hang out there. Let the guy tire himself out. You don't have to do anything. And I, I know one podcast I talk about this is like a Fabian strategy, whereas General Fabian was the guy who defeated Hannibal. And Hannibal was way too strong in the field. So what he do is he harried him, harried him over time, let him lose his effectiveness, let him lose his effectiveness, and then I'm going to go in for the kill a year. It took Fabian 10 years, but anyway. <laughs> but, but this is the same thing with Ellie Gracie. He's like, I'm a small guy. I'm going to really, really make you work to get tired. And so energy efficiency was a huge part of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu originally. So mm-hmm. fighting, what's part of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu? MMA or Valley Tudor or mixed style fight, self-defense, energy efficiency, and playing possum. Okay, a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the Gracie family is really big. And some of you don't know, they split. Like any family, they have their um, family drama. And uh, the first split, the big split, was Carlson Gracie, who is Carlos's son. Actually, no, the first big split was the original brothers. So there's Carlos, Elio, Oswaldo, and George. And Oswaldo stepped out. I'm not really sure why, but he stepped out. And then George um, was, a, was a womanizer and a drinker. Uh, as as the other brothers say it, but he liked the party. He liked the <laughs> he liked the nightlife, um, and uh, so Elio and particularly Carlos were like, "Dude, you're out. You're like too much of a player. You're doing crazy." And and George became a pro wrestler, and he actually did some fixed fights, and he just kind of did his thing, and he was kicked out of the family. The next big split was Carlos had some kids, and Carlson Gracie and Elio, who were the main teachers at that point, split. So Carlson's like, why do you have to fucking play possum, motherfucker? I'm going to push this fight. Like, dude, I'm, I'm not you. I'm not 125 pounds. I am strong. I'm young. I'm going to push this fight. And I'm going to make – I'm going to be more athletic, more aggressive than you. And the Carlson Gracie jiu-jitsu style, which is, you know, American top team and Brazilian top team, all these – they're all lineage – Back to Carlson. If you have MMA success these days, a lot of these guys can trace their lineage. Stipe, Stipe's strong style in, in Chicago, where uh, he's linked to Carlson Gracie as well. Mm. So a lot of the MMA teams went to the Carlson Gracie style because Carlson Gracie is like, I'm going to push. I'm going to. We're going to be athletic. We know this. So there's a big gap between Carlson Gracie Jiu Jitsu, which was much more aggressive, right, and like boom, smash the guy, take him down, and also integrated boxing. So almost all the Carlson Gracie guys had good boxing. And then the Elio side, which is like play possum, energy efficiency, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Now there's a third side in the middle that started. And there was a guy. Uh, are you getting bored yet? No, it's, it's, <laughs> I'm losing, I need a chart. I need to make a need graph chart, or yeah. something. So, so basically it goes – let's re- recap. Japanese jiu-jitsu becomes judo. Judo becomes Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? But it becomes Gracie jiu-jitsu. Now Gracie jiu-jitsu becoming Brazilian jiu-jitsu. How did that happen? Two sides of the family, Carlson Gracie and Elio. Still MMA-oriented, but Elio Gracie's style was more energy-efficient and more like play possum. Carlos Gracie was more aggressive, smashed the guy, and definitely was starting to integrate more of the MMA components we know today, Mm -hmm. meaning striking and grappling more. Now, there's the middle side. Now, I don't know the dynamics of the Gracie family, and, and they're very interesting in terms of how many kids they have, and they, um, their way they address procreation is, <laughs> is sometimes problematic. Uh, let's say that. But, you know, Carl's, Carl's <laughs> Wait, Gracie— hold on. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I'll explain. Are they Carl's Gracie— No, no. Yes, basically. <laughs> Carl's Gracie has a whole lot of kids from a whole lot of different mothers, uh. and, and so does Elio. Right, so they're basically they're like we will make a clan of fighters, kind of right. <laughs> and uh, but anyway, that's a little short simplification. But so uh, Carlos had one son, Holes or Holish, right? And Holish Gracie was 
um, basically considered the most talented of anybody in the family. And they look back and they created a dynasty. The kid was amazing. He was also a thrill seeker. But he was on good terms with both sides of the family because he was Carlos' son. But guess what? He was not welcome in his home. So he got adopted by Elio because he was the son of, Mm. you know, a mistress or something. And and the original wife doesn't want him there. Just, you know, right? Soap opera. It is. Oh, my God. You have no <laughs> idea. The Gracie family is this huge soap opera. Huge. And this is not talking trash. The Gracie's all admit this. Sounds right? a little bit like a cult, too. Yeah. There's, you know, like you talk to all martial arts have a little bit of a cult on yeah. too, you know? But definitely, Elio Gracie was a little bit more, like, grounded. And yeah. Carlos is more... Um, you can tell from his book, he made very weird spiritual claims. He was very, um, he was a very interesting, let's, you know, like 60s hippie crystals kind of thinker. Like not, obviously not the 60s he lived in, but, but uh, you know, he's very believed in spirituality and meant, you know, this kind of like 1920s spirituality that came out, you know, like mm. Harry Houdini got involved in that. And um, anyway, whatever. Um, so there's three sides of the family. Carlson Gracie split from Elio, Elio, and they have their own style, right? But they weren't like completely hating each other, but they were split. They had different academies. They trained different ways, but still the same idea of self-defense, Valley Tudo, boom. Now, Holes Gracie was on good terms on both sides. And so basically he was the bridge between, because he was raised by Elio, but son of Carl. So he was the bridge between two and created his own little academy and created some incredibly well-trained guys there. And um, that academy eventually became Gracie Baja. And um, Gracie Baja, probably don't know, but it's a, there's everywhere. There's like jujitsu. If you know any town anywhere, there's probably Gracie Baja now. It's like McDonald's, right? <laughs> so, um, but he created this school called, which eventually became called Gracie Baja, but he passed away. But he was a very, very innovative thinker. He brought wrestling into it. He actually brought the triangle choke into jiu-jitsu or, or it was one of the premier to develop the triangle choke system. Uh, and then originally – and the Gracies do admit this. For all those judo guys out there, all the Gracies admit that they learned the triangle choke from a judo book. They all admit it. Hmm. The, so the idea that Gracies are like – we don't admit that they're from judo. I've, I've heard from the source that they said, no, we learned the triangle choke from a, from a book. But that doesn't mean that they're doing the same thing as judo. They they learn they learn the triangle choke and they took it and they turn it to a, another level. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, so the, he he created all these different games and you know great teacher, great competitor, truly inspirational person. Henzo Gracie, you're familiar with Henzo Gracie, mm-hmm. was one of the first people to train him. Um, if you go anywhere, uh, Holes Gracie's marks are on everybody. He trained Hicks and Gracie, who's Elio's son. But obviously he trained with him uh, because he was his brother and raised with him. And Elio – I mean uh, Hickson talks about the day that he felt that he was as good as Holes, which was a very sad, bittersweet moment for him because Holes was the best guy in the family. And it was this time to – he's like, wow, now my, I'm better than my teacher, which happens to every student you know, at a certain point. But it's, it, he talks about that. But he was basically very, very trained by Holes. Also um, – the Machado brothers, who are cousins of Gracie's, they were in that Gracie Baja lineage. Uh, Holes passed away, but the academy stayed. And then it developed all these really free-thinking guys, free-thinking fighters, who, but were more dedicated to the sport of jiu-jitsu than to MMA. They kind of left. And not to say they didn't do MMA. There were a lot of them that did. But they were also very, very interested in winning in the sport of jiu-jitsu which is no striking. 
like judo, but you can't win by a throw. You have to win by submission. Or then there was a points rule. So there's you have to win by points or submission. So they got very into that. And there's some really skilled guys in that era. And there was Soneka, who I've met, Marcio Fitoza, who I've met. And it is this era in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, where these guys were just amazing developing the art. But they were very sports focused. And that continued. So Gracie Ba, that middle zone, that whole started, but actually Carlos Gracie Jr., um, a, a, one of the other Carlos sons, uh, uh, took over and really devoted it to sport jiu-jitsu. Not 100%, but very strongly. Then, also, a lot of holes of students broke off and created different organizations. One of them was Romero Cavalcanti. He created Alliance. And uh, basically, all these students of holes kind of went off in different directions. And they grew and created different. Damian Maya is, traces his lineage back to that. Damian Maya's originally, his instructor uh, was um, uh, uh, Fabio Gergel, who and his instructor is Romero Cavalcanti, and then it goes back to Holes Gracie. So, you know, you can see a lot of these people in the sport world who, uh, Jacare too, same, same lineage, um, that they're originally from Holes Gracie, right? So now you have three sides of family. Elio, which is self-defense and some Valley Tudo, MMA, and then you have Carlson Gracie, who was MMA, you know, really strong MMA. And then definitely they competed in sports jiu-jitsu too, but their team was very known for their MMA success and they had a very aggressive style. And in the middle is the sports jiu-jitsu side. So there's three families, right? Now, when we talk about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, due to the efforts of Carlos Gracie Jr., most schools, because of Carlos Gracie Jr.'s influence, are very, very strongly oriented towards the sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which is no strikes. People didn't understand the difference, but people got so into the sport that they stopped training the self-defense. And if you weren't doing an MMA fight, you wouldn't train for MMA because you just like, hey, I'm not doing an MMA fight. Why not? Why, why would I train for MMA if I'm not doing an MMA fight? Mm-hmm. So if you go to a Brazilian jiu-jitsu school today, most of them are following this pattern of sport jiu-jitsu training. It just is. So now, Hoyan Gracie, who is from the Elio side, was like, no, Elio is different. Elio's jiu-jitsu is different. It is different. And he got a lot of flack for saying that. I don't disagree, but he got a lot of flack for saying that. But he did something that a lot of people don't like. And he copyrighted the term Gracie Uh Jiu-Jitsu. So nobody else in the family could use it. (laughs) And that really pissed off the rest of the family. So there's other two sides of the family. Dude, I'm a Gracie too, motherfucker. (laughs) You know, like like they really got pissed. And so Horian Gracie for a long time was not a person that people like. He's also the guy who started the UFC. Horian Gracie is the guy who started the UFC. So... um, but he's like, our jiu-jitsu is different. And Hoyce Gracie is Horian's brother. And he's the first guy to fight in the UFC. Hickson, who fought in Japan, is Horian's Gracie's second younger brother. And um, different mothers, though. Hmm. Again, Gracie <laughs> family dynamics. <laughs> but but they they were – most of the people we saw in the beginning of the – the very beginning of the UFC were, were, were from the Elio side. And we saw Elio too, right? Um, and then uh, you saw Hickson and Hickson's brother, Hoyler. And they were, again, from the Elio side. Now, uh, you saw some people like Vitor Belford. That was from the Carlson Gracie side. Or Stipe, you know, like all these guys on that fighting MMA came in later. They were from the Carlson Gracie side. And, but those people took a back seat now to the middle side. Now, the middle side couldn't use the term Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because it was trademarked. So what they did is they started calling it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Instead of Gracie. Oh, interesting. Because they were not allowed. That simp has actually been thrown out of court. So right now you see a lot of people coming back to using the word Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. But it's a good shorthand that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is more sport-based 
And Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is either more self-defense based and Carlson Gracie is a little more MMA based. Mm. However, even if you go to any of the other sides of the family, right now, sport Jiu-Jitsu is so big that it has infected even the schools that purport to teach self-defense, right? They still have a very strong sport Jiu-Jitsu curriculum because everybody wants to do it and it's not MMA. And so the only places that I feel that are really staying true to either the Carlson side or to the Elio side are the places that um, are either like Gracie Academy is one, uh, it's the home headquarters, uh, uh, where they're really making you do the self-defense, or MMA schools where they're actually making you train for MMA. Hmm. And um, and so if you go to most Brazilian jiu-jitsu schools today or Gracie jiu-jitsu schools, any, any school, and you're going to be learning a sport vari- variation, which is not unlike – the sport of judo, no punches, no kicks, no headbutting, no hair pulling, no eye gouging, nothing like that. Just the nice, you know, playing around in wrestling <laughs> like a sport. And that's great. But the problem with that is it doesn't prepare you completely for combat. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, any art that has full contact, meaning you can do anything you want to me and I can do anything you want to me in terms of strength. Like I can f- stop you with all my strength within these rules to stop to do what I want. Any anything that trains in that hundred percent, I can effort you know sparring modality, even if it has a lot of rules, will have some level of reality, some level. But the percentage is the question. What's the percentage level of reality? That's the question, and I want to talk about that in another another um, question, uh, which we can ask in another say. How much reality do you have? And the thing is, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, as it's practiced in the sport element, has some reality to combat, of course. Mm-hmm. But limited. The Carlson and Eliocytes have much more reality to combat. Now, of course, are they, you know, sparring with, you know, knives every day? No. Or chainsaws <laughs> or machine guns? No. But they, because they train much more in a combative modality, they're more prepared for combat. When you're training in a sport modality, you're going to be more prepared for the sport and mm-hmm. the dynamics of that. But there's a good, there's a good counter argument which is true, that said, well, the top guys, you think the top guys in the sport of jiu-jitsu, the very top guys in the sport of jiu-jitsu couldn't defend themselves in a street? Well, it depends on the circumstance. I would say the top guys in any sport, including football, probably have a good t- defend themselves because guess what? They're freaking great athletes. Mm-hmm. They are great athletes and great athletes can defend themselves, generally speaking. However, what about the guys who are not great athletes? What about not the top? What are we looking at the bottom? What are you teaching the guy at the bottom of the barrel to help him on the street? That's the question. Also, when those top guys go up against top guys in MMA, they don't always do so well. Mm-hmm. And you can see that with Jacare, who's amazing, but there's certain positions that are very exposed in sport jiu-jitsu to strikes that he has tried and failed miserably. And it's one reason why Jacare is not the, the UFC champion right now, and the same with Damian Maya, that he, he's great. I'm, I, I, you know, people get on me because I talk down to Damian <laughs> Maya, but he's, he's a great, and you know what? I really hope he wins this new fight coming up with Ben Askren, and I'm a huge fan, yeah. but he has some things he does in his game that, that need to be, you know, changed, and Poor that's Damian. not, not talk to Poor Damian Maya. I have a hard yeah. question for yeah. you now. Okay. Um, you have 30 seconds or less to answer seconds. this question. Yes, go ahead. What's the difference between Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Orientation towards fighting. Okay. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Orientation <laughs> towards fighting versus sport. Cool. You know? And yeah. And then the other one is legal. You know, like hey, you yeah. they got sued and <laughs> you can't use the name Gracie. Yeah. Yeah. So I couldn't open a Gracie Jiu Jitsu gym or 
Gracie. You couldn't. You I couldn't. No, actually, no, you probably can now because it's been thrown out. What if I spell it different? Yeah, yeah. You know, like uh, Gracie E Y. G R A Y C E. I'll get the stupid people to join my gym. Yeah, you know, you know, it's always funny like that because uh, sometimes, like, not with Gracie Jiu Jitsu, but you can see um, the word Jiu Jitsu can be spelled many different ways. And when there was a, a boom, a lot of people who came from the Japanese Jiu Jitsu tradition. Started started just saying, yeah, we do jiu-jitsu. They just got rid of the word Japanese and people thought it was the same. Mm-hmm. So they thought, oh, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu. And it, it, is, it is very different. Um, one, the orientation towards ground, but also the constant evolution and sparring. You know, And Japanese jiu-jitsu tends to be a little bit more classical and did not go through the Kano's filter of what was efficient and what was not. So sometimes you can go to a Japanese jiu-jitsu school and learn some cool techniques. And sometimes you learn something that was the best practice of 1720, but not today. You know, like, it's just like, you you know, we learned something better. We should do that. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I don't want to do what they did in 1720 just to do that, you know? No, let's um, update it. Yeah, that's, that's being said, that some Japanese jiu-jitsu schools have some very serious skill too, you know? But they, they just are a different style. You know, some do and some really don't, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, but they generally tend to be very classical in their approach. Almost all Japanese jiu-jitsu schools I've been to have like, you know, they eventually at some point take out a samurai sword and like you have to do this Jesus block Christ. a sword. Get out of that class. Yeah. No, but you know, you're blocking a sword or boast, you know, some weapons. Karate too, you know, like I went through karate and you had to learn all the weapons and things like that. You know, like I really don't want to learn how to use a tanfa. <laughs> I want to learn how to punch someone. I just want to have a wall full of swords. I don't, I don't yeah, need no, to know how to swords are cool, it. I guess. You know? <laughs> Last night we got scared. We heard a noise in the living room. I picked up my machete and walked out in the living room. You picked up your machete. You have a machete. Oh, yeah. yeah. You got to be right and prepared. I live in Brooklyn. Yeesh. Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Mm. All right. I think we have time for maybe one question, maybe okay. two, okay. depending on the, the length of the answer. Okay. Uh, what is the most effective takedown technique for the street? What is the most effective takedown technique for the street? Okay. A gun. No, I mean, he was like a judo takedown. Right? Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 fine. Right. right? So um, <laughs> this is actually really interesting. And it's really interesting. So, um, MMA is a microcosm of one-on-one combat in self-defense. Like, basically, there's no rules. Uh, There's some rules here and there. But in unarmed one-on-one combat, what's going to work in MMA is going to work in the street. And that's a fact. Just a fact. Like, you know, what's different? Mm -hmm. Nothing. You know, actually, it's it's more same than even other sports because you have the cage. However, there is one difference, and that's the skill of the fighters. So generally speaking, this is actually a good thing because you want to use the highest percentage techniques against skill fighters because they'll work against – of course, they'll work against a lower-level skill fighter. Mm-hmm. However, there are some techniques, few, but there are some that can work on a very unskilled fighter. Or they can work in the context of um, clothing. So in the UFC, of course, there's no clothing anymore. You know, you can't wear a gi. You know, there's no. I don't know what you see here. I mean, you know, like the, the gi. The pants. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. No gi. But yeah, they're not wearing gi tops. Yeah. So one of the most effective throws in judo and in gi MMA is an outside reaping throw called osotogai where you pull the guy's jacket, tilt him to the side, put your leg, in this case I'll say right leg, behind your right leg, and I kick your right leg up in the air and slam your head to the floor. 
So I'm going, you know, like this, right? Mm. That is called osotogari. There are very few osotogaris in in MMA, Be- in modern nogi MMA, because it, one um, is without the gi, it's sort of like 50-50. Either he throws you or you throw him. And it's it's uh, because there's you can't really off-balance him the same way. Mm-hmm. So also um, a skilled guy, a skilled guy can counter it really well. So what happens is you don't you don't you see a lot of guys won't take the risk to be encountered unless you know obviously there's clothing. So I've only seen a few. There's only like a few Osoto guys in all of the UFC. There's a few, and Zabit just pulled an interesting one off where it was like kind of like a different skipping Osoto guy. But I think that the only other person was Car Parisian, and what he did was he used the Kimura grip on the guy's arm and then hit the Osoto guy right. But it was like a hybrid throw. So the last Osoto guy, pure pure Osoto guy, was actually Horse Gracie. When, when people were in geese mm-hmm. and he actually grabbed the guy's gi and threw That does him. sound like a very good technique for normal day-to-day life. Yeah, especially if they're wearing a gi. Grab their you backpack get, or something. Yeah, yeah, grab and tilt them and then smash them on there and it's yeah. really effective. However, uh, you won't see the high-level guys in MMA in America, no gi MMA, do it because there's no gi. However, I told you there's MMA um, in, in Japan, kudo, uh, which is a uh, karate-based MMA, but they wear gis and they do MMA, right? And you can see that also the guy is really, really, really effective there. So if you're on the street, I would say also the guy is a great takedown, especially if you're the same height or, or, or shorter, and it's like instant clinch and go. I would also say um, it takes a little practice, but a really good double leg and following MMA again, all MMA, a body lock to an outside trip. Those are the three. Double leg, Body lock to an outside trip. That has been proven. Those two have been proven in MA over and over again. And the one that is not proven in UFC, in the UFC or in the no-gi MMA world, but in the gi MMA world is, is the osotogari. So that's kind of interesting where that third technique is is very, very effective, but you won't see it in the UFC. All right. Yeah. What does that can translate that to English? Like the osotogari means big outside reap. O is big, soto is outside, and gari karu is to chop like a like a reap, like yeah, a, you think you're re, re threshing corn or something, yeah. right? So your leg is like a like a sickle against his leg. Sounds dangerous and scary. It is. It is. That's the other reason why I don't do it that much in my academy because if you throw a guy like that, a beginner, and they turn wrong, they blow their knee out. Yikes. Yeah. So it's like another one that I don't teach it as much because um, the chance of injury is also high. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen a lot of guys injured by that throw. I'm gonna do that on the train tonight. Yeah, on the way home. I'll let you know how it goes. So that that is uh, that is the when people say what's the what's the best takedown like wrestling takedown or grappling takedown for street outside trip big old fashioned double leg takedown and and also tagari if they're wearing clothing. Now my brother when we were kids he used to put his knees on my arms and then hit me in the face. What is there a name for that? Oh yeah, that's mount. Yeah, yeah would... mount. Yeah, that's mount. No, there that's very common. That's it's you know it's funny because every kid older brother does that to your yeah. younger brother. No, and then he, is... sometimes he make me hit myself with my own oh, hands. I do that to my wife all the time. <laughs> oh shoot! What a time in the jiu-jitsu academy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No. Now, last question: uh, Should BJJ return to a self-defense focus? Right. Um, okay. So that is a great question. And um thank let, you. Yeah, I my my short answer is this, yes and no. My my short answer is yes for me, but no for anyone else. So the question is I want to I want to I want to talk to you larger about martial arts. Okay. So martial arts is this funny world where um 
we can do something that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now, for example, if you're a lawyer, you if you're not good at being a lawyer, you will be <laughs> you, you'll go to malpractice and you won't be a lawyer very long. Yeah. Right? If you are a plumber and you can't fix people's pipes adequately and safely and follow code, you know, the code the, the code you're going to lose your license. You will lose your license. Yeah? Or, and of course, you'll get terrible Yelp reviews, you know, <laughs> you know whatever, but, but yelping aside, right? But, but you'll actually lose your license. There are a lot of places in, in that things that are very important in life where if you do not demonstrate, like a physician, a certain level of skill, you'll be brought up on malpractice or you lose your license. In America, martial arts is not like that. We can do, but, but let's put aside a license. There are so many people who teach martial arts that don't work. Now, I'm not I'm so for example, if I'm a plumber and I say I'm going to plumb, even if I'm the worst plumber, I'll eventually fix your pipes at some level. Mm. Like I'll fix your but if you're doing tai chi, <laughs> right? I'm teaching martial arts, but there's no combat element. Martial arts, but we've gotten rid of the martial. So it's a very interesting and, and I'm putting judgment here because the martial arts world is very large and it's part filled with people who are concentrating on the art side or the cards. You know, have you ever heard of Key Aikido? You've heard of Aikido, right? Mm-hmm. Key Aikido is an organization within Aikido which has dispensed with the fabrication that Aikido is good for self-defense. They totally dispense it. They say, what we're doing is Zen flowing movement. We're, we're trying to use movement as a way to do Zen or you know just be spiritual or whatever. Okay, that's very interesting and I, I appreciate that. So, but it's so interesting that martial arts has become something that has almost no martial value. And the same thing, you're like, oh, well, Aikido, I don't do Aikido. I do this. Guess what? Taekwondo and karate have degenerated into Asian-inspired daycare, right? Or Asian-inspired aerobics. Mm. You know, like that's because like, I had a guy come into my academy today and from an, another academy. It wasn't a, a, a kickboxing MMA academy, but or kickboxing. But he's like, I I want to actually learn self defense. I don't want to be taught how to exercise. And and I'm like, I totally understand what you're saying. So basically, you actually want martial arts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no martial. I should say not martial arts because you can't say that anymore. Because martial arts world is a world that is very non martial. It's very art, and there's other side that's very martial. Now, there's two sides of this coin. Okay, there's two sides. So there's all the way on this side, which let's put on this side Aikido, which is like super, we want to be flowy and you know, Tai Chi and you know, we want to do our like Zen thing, whatever. Okay. Mm-hmm. And on the other side is like, you know, reality-based self-defense. I'm gonna fuck you up, motherfucker. You know, put my thumb in your eye and eat, you know, and both these are kind of ridiculous too. <laughs> you know, because they're extremes. And yes, there's some place in the middle where we have to be. So if we're all over here in Never Neverland, then we lose touch with our martial roots. If we're all over here in crazy eye gouging land, you actually never spar. You don't get the added benefits of exercise and things like that, but you actually are not functional in combat because you've gone so much to like, oh, well, you know, there's going to be like 50 guys with machine guns and like, well, what are you talking about, dude? You know, like now just go be, you know, David Branch and <laughs> Branch Davidians and get a you know uh, you know cult with a cult with you know like uh, you know fifty machine guns. There, there has to be some medium uh-huh. between these two extremes. Yes, I believe that as a martial artist, we must have martial art, martial reality. That we must teach some level of functional self defense. I do believe that. 
However, there are many people who don't believe that, and they like to just use martial arts as Asian or, in this case, Brazilian-inspired exercise or sportive, sportive, comp, sportive play. Mm-hmm. You know, like tennis. And B, BJJ now is Asian-inspired or Brazilian-inspired, whatever Japanese Brazilian-inspired sportive play, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it would be a tremendous shame to me if we really lose touch of the our link to the combative world, and um, and but that is my personal personal belief, and I, it saddens me to see the art of Elia Gracie and Carlson Gracie turned into sportive play. And that same thing happened with Taekwondo. The same thing happened with karate. It comes to America. It, 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 it explodes in popularity. And then somehow it becomes sportive play. And we lose track of what really works. And also not just what really works, but what could work better. So, okay, I'm doing this move here, but I should not be satisfied what we do now. I would like to evolve in the combative context the best move for the human body to defend himself in a certain circumstance. And we don't know what that is yet. We don't know. We can have a lot more evolution to go. But when we're evolving in the context of real-life combat, to me, the best thing to happen to martial arts is the UFC, and the second is world star (laughs) hip-hop. Because it's two data points where we can say, this is what freaking works. So, okay, the UFC is not street fighting. But guess what? World star is. Like, that's videos of real street fights. I mean, like, horrible stuff, too. Yeah. But you can say, like, all these guys saying, oh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu doesn't work on a street fight. And I'll tell you, I can pull up two or three hundred videos without looking of a Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy defending himself, or girl, we just saw one recently, defending her, him or herself effectively from an assailant. I mean, you're like, dude, where's your data? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I can pull up hundreds of those. I can't pull up hundreds of taekwondo moves. But we're going in this way, if we keep going in this sportive way, the efficacy, the the functionality of BJJ or GJJ in combat will be diminished other than those guys who train in the MMA context. Mm. And that is sad to me. It's like you shouldn't just be MMA, sales fans shouldn't just be for MMA guys. But that is fact, you know, Mm. it's a fact. And um, and then we we also like when we go depart from these sides when we're depart from the reality of of combat and depart from data we start thinking things that work that don't so like I said the, another one I said there's things that we thought would work wouldn't work and they do and there's a lot of things we thought would work and don't we have to test 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 over and over again. And like we were talking about networks in our podcast about networks, you, I think every martial artist, not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, not just Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, not just Judo, every martial artist should have some link to the MMA world because it just keeps you grounded in freestyle combat. Mm-hmm. And freestyle combat is combat. That is, freestyle combat is combat because there's no rules on mm-hmm. the street. Now, are you prepared for knife defense if you're just an MMA guy? Well, probably not, but you're Probably more, def- yeah, yeah, yeah more different. Now that's also, but you should also have a link to to to, to people who who talk about that too. You yeah. know, like I, I'm not a huge Bruce Lee fan, and like oh, I love Bruce Lee, but but Bruce Lee kind of tried to do that. He tried to say, let's have this link to all these different martial arts and cross train, and those martial arts will include 
the weapon arts too, mm-hmm. you know, and that to me, that's, that's important, you know, like how to, how to stop some guy from stabbing you, you know, how to stop, you, gotta an know. Act- <laughs> yeah, yeah. How to, you know, I think about this a lot, how to, how to stop an active shooter, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's my answer. I have, on, I have yeah. a question for you. Uh, what's, I don't have an answer. What's, you know, yeah. so what's right for you, but no answer. It, yeah. My answer is it's sad to see the BJJ becoming sport. Mm. You know, it's basically like, like watch combat jujitsu. That's much better. <laughs> what's what's the better martial art for self defense? Uh, taekwondo or Zumba? Uh oh, oh, that should have been an easy answer. I don't know those Zumba people. They get some high kicks. You know, you would some <laughs> some Zumba places you'll be in much better shapes to run. Uh, <laughs> you know, like I've seen so many like really fat, out of shape taekwondo. Well, no, that being said, there's some great taekwondo athletes too. There's some really great sure. taekwondo athletes, but but um, the amount of like I, I had a student and, and he's a great guy, but you know, uh, to more than one, this is not just one, but people who come from the taekwondo world and just get hit with overhands all the time, and mm-hmm. and overhand right, they're just not prepared for it. What about Taibo? Tybo sucks. And Billy Blank sucks. <laughs> Billy Blank sucks. Oh, man, I oh, actually happened God. to have known him back in the day. Uh, hey, Billy. Thanks for listening. <laughs> All right, that <laughs> his ends son the... is, His son is doing it now, too. His is son he? is trying to re- recreate Good that Lord. Infomercials. Yeah, I know, really. So ends the episode of Questions and Answers. Uh, thanks for sending those questions in. Keep sending them to our Facebook page. And uh, if you see Renee on the street, ask him a question. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. All thanks. Right, thanks. Bye-bye. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Marshall underscore culture and on Instagram at Marshall Culture Cast. Please leave a review on iTunes and we'll see you next time on the Marshall Culture Podcast.